0: What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by. And without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. Welcome back, familiar faces. This is part two. I've got an aggressive sunburn. I don't want to hear about it. No comments below about how I should have put on my sunscreen. I don't want to hear your bullshit. I'm in enough pain as it is. We've got Mr. Thomas Neil, Thomas Butler. Neil is your middle name? That's correct. That's a beautiful middle name, sir. Beautiful. And Nicholas Womble back again, freshly back from That's the great fun. state of California. How was it?
1: It was fun. It was first time out there, so that was a different experience.
0: Yeah, you graced us with a total of what was it? Three pictures? Four pictures? Yeah, about all I got. <laughs> <laughs> a grand total of four
1: pictures. What were you doing out there? Well, you were uh, out there with Brady, right? Yeah, we went out there with one of my clients. He uh, was hitting with a uh, like a I don't know if he's just like a privately um, facilitated hitting coach. He works with a lot of MLB guys, and so he went out there and he's changing up his swing a little bit, working on some different things, and just becoming more efficient, learning new things, and. Um, the way the guy teaches hitting is really similar to like how I teach training and how I want to simplify things. I want to set myself up in this very specific start, so I end at the same place so that my body can kind of just do the work for me. He wants it to be as simple as possible and just continue the repetition, repetition, repetition. So the first time we went out there, he just thought I'd clash well with the guy and um, just kind of learn a lot and he's like the way I learn is by doing so I go in there and I I feel the stuff out that he's doing I kind of repeat what he's doing and so as I get a better idea of like what he needs to be successful in and where he needs to be good at um, I can help better train him so we just went out there got a network a little bit and this took a couple days of vacation who who's Brady with again is he with is he with Kansas City yeah he's with the Royals so he got drafted last year I think so he went through just rookie ball this last year and then would have started up again this year for his second season and then the whole thing just kind of ended up so um yeah so he's with the Royals um played at UF and then he was a local guy here at Merritt Island as well
0: for some reason I thought he was with San Diego it's probably like the similar colors Padres and Casey are somewhat similar colors so I thought you were out at the Padres facility I was like
1: yeah nah, some nah. cool
0: story how, how was the facility out there looking good
1: so, yeah, it was actually just like, a, I mean, it was no bigger than the, kind of like my facility out here. It's just like a guy running the thing. I think he's been affiliated with MLB teams a lot. And then eventually just he kind of came up with his own way of hitting that was different. And he just opened up his own facility and just continued to train like certain players from the MLB that really stuck with him and have changed their swing up and had success with it. And he's just he's become one of like the bigger guys out there to or just anywhere in the nation to kind of go out and really get your swing right.
0: But it was cool. Yeah. As someone who's removed from, like, baseball, removed from golf, you hear you hear a lot about them talking about, like, different swing coaches, like, in golf. Like, like Tiger Woods got a new swing coach that's going to completely change his game. And yeah. I think people who are out of the sport, they don't realize, like, how big of a change that actually is. So, for someone like Brady, is, like, how, how much does that change
1: what you do with him when he makes a big change, like, in his swing? So, it, actually, it's funny, like... Going into like before I went out there with him, I knew like things on his body that really need to improve, like certain areas that whether it's mobility, strength, things like that, that we've already really been hammering really hard. It's his abs. He needs a better six pack. <laughs> yeah, he just needs to get the biceps bigger, you know, all the <laughs> show. Up. But, uh, and so I go out there and the guy's like, hey, he needs this, this, this. And I'm like, oh, Brady, Does that sound familiar? It's like everything we're trying to work on is like all things that are going to continue to help him success in his hitting. So it was cool to see that like the things we were attacking are going to continue to help build into this new swing. Um, But then, I mean, you got to remember with any new skill you're learning, like before he's hit the same way for 15, 20 years. So it's like now he's like having to relearn to walk again. So, I mean, for a little bit, there's a decrease in in performance when you try to do something new and you kind of, you have those stages of frustration again, but then you also get the joys of like, Oh, it's, that was a good hit. Oh, let me see if I can get that again. You get in these rhythms and these routines and you got that excitement of hitting again every day. So it's like, it's cool to watch like the whole process of like relearning it. But I think more than anything, it's just like, again, it's another motor skill that he's learning. He's learning a new way to do it. And whether he stays with it or not, his body has more options um, and more availability to hit that ball now. Thomas, you've got something to add.
2: Oh, I just, I always, uh, whenever I hear of, uh, you know, throwing coaches or or hitting coaches, especially golf, I feel like every every, uh, golf coach has got his like little pet swing technique. Mm uh, and it, it probably correlates pretty well to weightlifting and the the great catapult versus triple extension debates, you know, the 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 catapult wars of 2014. But uh <laughs> but but I always wonder how much of that is really uh how much value is added. Not saying your guy isn't adding value, but but how much of that is is uh you know just sort of messing with what athletes have already kind of figured out for their own yeah. bodies. cuz you know every every nuance of a an athletic motion like that is you know, something that's sort of tuned into a unique biomechanical situation. And uh, and even not just like uh, limb lengths and joint angles, but like, you know, degrees of penation and stuff like that with their actual individual muscle fibers. And, and uh, man, sometimes you see, especially at quarterbacks, um, you see this guy that's like thrown for like 7,000 yards, you know, his senior year in high school. And he goes to college and he gets some quarterback guru um, who just totally destroys him. Um, I know at Clemson, and so you, this was long before you were around there, um, there was a guy named Willie Korn, who was the, uh, he was like the highest rated quarterback recruit in South Carolina in like two decades, came out of Burns High School, uh, threw for just an obscene amount of yards and touchdowns as a junior and senior, and he went to Clemson, and he was going to be it, he was, he was like a four or five star recruit, he was going to tear it up, and uh, we had this uh, this offensive coordinator, and a quarterback coach named Rob Spence, who was very specific about how he wanted things done. He didn't like Willie Korn's throwing motion, and he spent two years trying to rework this this kid who was already elite, trying yeah. to fix fix his throwing motion. And uh, the kid ended up burning out, getting injured, and uh, <laughs> and transferred to North Greenville. So he played like one year of Division Three. Yeah. You know? And uh, so I just wonder. I, I feel like it's uh, it's always interesting to see the perspectives on people that are like, I've got a i am going to take this really good athlete and just totally change everything.
1: No, I mean, it's true because like he's had success doing what he's done. And it's like, so it is sometimes you got to question, do I fix what maybe doesn't look the way I want it to look, but it's somehow working. I think the big argument that, because I used to think that way too. I'm just like, man, like don't fix it. Like at this point, don't, don't mess with it. And, And, but then again, I think that's like, if I can be more consistent with doing something very like I know what it's doing every time there's more chance that I'm not going to get in these ruts maybe, or I'm not going to get out of the swing or whatever it may be. I think so. It it just breeds consistency a little bit better. But other than that, it's like, yeah, man, it works. Like, Yeah. I
2: I think when you're doing that, you kind of have to have like a a good like a methodology for how you evaluate what you're changing. Yeah. yeah, not just like this guy doesn't fit my my template. So yeah. we need to fix him. But like say say your guy's got some consistency issues and you know can drive down to a root cause of one aspect of his setup and rework that and yeah. kind of take some uh bottlenecks out of his his system essentially. Yeah. You know? Obviously there's it's it's not like never change anything, but
1: right.
2: so like understand like elite athletes are elite
1: yeah, okay. it comes back to like his philosophies too. It's like he's teaching more than just "Hey, do A, B, and C," and you're gonna have. Yeah. A good point. It's like he's like I have people that come in here and work with me for a while and then steal everything I've done and put it into a book and try to sell it. It's like he's like I don't even worry because they're missing. They're still missing the why and the how and the, the reason I'm doing this, this, and this, and that's what's gonna make you a successful hitter. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah there's, that's that's so true. That's like you gotta understand more than just do this, and it's gonna be successful.
2: Yeah, I, just, I think it's I think it's interesting because it's it's like every sport's got like, you know, ten or fifteen guys that that have their their pet way of doing something really specific, and it always seems like maybe you know maybe maybe, maybe it's a, it's not as important as they market it to be. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. I think it's that it's kind of what that's that saying you make the system fit the athlete instead of making the athlete fit the system.
2: Exactly. So yeah.
0: having that certain level of flexibility there. But I think a lot of what we're talking about here, kind of as athletes come up and they develop what, you know, some coaches might call bad habits or something like that, that's a lot of that is in the early development process. And that's what we want to center today's episode all about, all about, you know, taking a youth athlete from the age where we're first starting to compete for like real competitive value, we're competing to win, which, you know, for some athletes is as young as eight or nine, there's a. Serious argument there that it shouldn't be that young, but that's just kind of the way it is. But we're going to start from something that's a little closer to like the high school years. So the question that I wanted to throw to Nick, and then I'll let Thomas kind of respond with his um, analysis as well Is so you get, let's say, a 14 year old who comes to you. The first areas of improvement that you target
1: are what? Well, I mean, I think a lot. Of, I can't just say it's one thing. Again, it's going to be the need Don't to say there. it depends because <laughs> you fucking fuck coward. On the <laughs> Fight me, coward. I'm going to pick one thing. You know, I'm going to pick like they need to understand like how to how to move. Again, it comes back to movement. So it's like if I have an athlete come in and I, I test most of my athletes first thing, I, I have them run through the cars routine. Um, so I'm. I'm about like a year and a half into being functional range conditioning certified and that really just like opened my eyes to just a little bit better movement Um, it was like a certification I went in there thinking I moved really well and then all of a sudden I'm like whoa yeah I don't move good so I need to I need to figure out how to move better Um, so I start all my athletes on the CARS routine it's a good assessment it allows me to kind of see joint by joint where they're they're lacking just the ability maybe neurological how to move something how to get something in the right position Um, and, and that matters so much to me and I want them to understand why that matters to me as well because if they don't know how to, let's say, retract or protract your scapula, it's like they can't have a good bench press or push-up or dumbbell row or anything that involves protraction retraction because they don't even know how to do it without a weight in their hand, without any other stimulus. They don't know how to move it on its own. Um, so that's where I start with I – I mean, if it's a 14-year-old or a, you know, six years into the league and you know, he's, he's just coming in for an offseason, I'm going to start with the car team. Um, so that's actually going to be synonymous for all my athletes because I need to know that make sure that they know how to move um, it allows me to see from head down to toes where there may be some big outliers that, Hey, I'm saying this is a big problem right here now. Like we need to attack this pronto. Um, or I might look at him and be like, man, like it's all pretty much there. Let's just start getting the training. Let's just get some reps in. Let's start, start learning the body and, and we'll start slowly adding some weight and, and intensity pretty quickly because I believe your body will be able be able to accept that. Um, but yeah, for the younger kids, when they come in and it's funny you say 14 is because, um, to me, like that's the best time to start training. I think, like, right around that, I mean, maybe you could argue like 13, 12, maybe a little younger. Depends. Some kids are really mature at that age. Their bodies are adapting. Like, I mean, some kids do get pretty pretty early. So it's like you could really start training earlier in maybe like sixth grade, seventh grade, too. But just to keep it safe, man, like, like you said, competitive gets up. The sport really is becoming more competitive. It's, it's, It's an important game now to where like you're trying to play for scholarships and for the future. So, you know, at that point, it's like okay, if you're going to start becoming more elite on the field or the court or whatever it may be, like now it's time to start training your body as well. Um, for not even just again for performance, methods, but you're playing at a higher level, you're playing faster, bigger, stronger people. It's like you need to be safe too. So I think that is a crucial time. Like ninth grade is great to start. A lot of sports are going to start you in that anyways, in the weight room at your school anyways. So like it's better for me to at least teach them the right things and the right way to approach things, even if they're lifting with a coach outside of it. That may not do something the way we want it, but at least I know they have an idea of their body and can do it safely. Um, So again, it's just that, that 14 year old um, age group is just, I think a crucial time period. Like you need to try to start around that time period. Um, But when you start with that age group, again, I think it's going to come back to just trying to get movement quality first. So we're just going to really focus on um, how to move, why we're moving this way what what the focus is with this because again if you understand the why then like the training is going to be it's just going to become that much easier let me backtrack you for a second
0: you mentioned cars a lot can you explain like a glossary definition of what what you mean by that
1: so i'm gonna i'll give it to like if i'm teaching a 14 year old like trying to be like oh, all right we're doing controlled articular rotations blah blah blah, blah. thank this- you as a 14 as a year old thank you Yeah, so I I just tell people, like, it's a joint by joint, like, warm-up routine. So the same way you would want to warm up your muscles, we're going to warm up your joint. Um, And we're going to warm that up by moving it. We're going to move it the way it was designed to move. And as we move, our body responds to that movement. And it's going to, you know, bring blood flow to the surrounding area. It's going to increase synovial fluid in joints. It's going to just lube up the body. It's going to wake the body up. It's going to prime the nervous system. So all of a sudden, just quality movement has now primed my body for, like, okay, what do you need me to do? Um, they don't even realize they're warming up. And, I mean, if you really hit a good car's routine, if you really learn how to do it, you can have different intensity levels when you do it with, with how you radiate tension throughout your body and how you intensify, like, basically an isometric. You're kind of fighting with an isometric as you're moving. Um, you can really increase the intensity of that, and I, I believe your body doesn't know that there's not a weight in your hand. Your body doesn't know that you're not moving through resistance. But it's working as if it was. So, I mean, you can really send an insane signal to that joint and the surrounding musculature to really wake up before a movement. Um, so, yeah, so it's like a it's a, a joint warm up routine, taking your joints from head, neck, spine down to your toes and, and just move them properly again, or what what your body's gonna give you. So, sometimes I'm like, this is what the shoulder car may need to look like. And you're not giving me close to that. It's like, well, you're working in your range of the shoulder joint. Like maybe I want it out here and that's what it's capable of, but you can only do this right now. So you need to work in here and not try to work outside the capacity of your shoulder yet. Like we need to master what you have and continue to approach other methods, maybe outside the gym to open up those ranges of motion so that we can eventually train the shoulder the way it's designed to be trained. You're here.
0: You try and get here. That's how you quote unquote wreck your shit. Yeah. Thomas, anything that he missed, anything you want to add on to that?
2: Uh, I you know I I agree like kind of with the general uh, basis there I I think that uh, in terms of long term athletic development um, really the the best time to address what he's talking about with with kinesthetic awareness and uh, mobility is something that ought to be you know really ideally developed and maintained when the body is most uh, neuroplastic since you know uh, resting tonus is a you know, muscle totus is a, is a factor of innervation and neurological activity. Uh, it goes back to anything else. Um, you know, baseline flexibility, mobility, what you're able to maintain without, you know, a bunch of extra work is, uh, is really, a, a factor of your central nervous system in that regard. The best time to develop that is when the, the, the athlete is very young, talking like three to six years old. And, um, uh, and all those, those little neural networks are still growing and developing. Um, and then uh, ideally, you know, uh, those, are, those are in place and, and fairly well calcified. Uh, so that that's, that's an ability that the athlete will have for the rest of their, you know, athletic career, you know, until the, the aging process sets in and entropy uh, washes things back. But, uh, you know, just, just for like Ryan, our example of like Lexi and, and uh, Jimmy – like how ridiculously mobile and strong they are in those positions. And it's because they've been doing that stuff since they were like three or four years old.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, You know, uh, another example is, is you know, I, when I was growing up, I was not an athletic child. And so it was a very small child that was not involved in a whole lot of sports. I think I took tumbling when I was three and then decided I liked Legos better. That's so my parents thought that, well, he'll just use his brain. It'll be fine. And um, my brother on the other hand did gymnastics until he was about six years old, and, um, Crazy and he grew up to be a much better athlete than me. Yeah, uh, by, the time, by the time he got to fifteen, uh, you know he was stronger and faster, and, and even before he ever did anything in a weight room, and uh, it's because he had, had spent that time developing the control system. Uh, I so I, I really think that uh, you know you, you can do a lot for a, a child under the age of thirteen. I think that thirteen, twelve, thirteen is probably a good time to start adding applying external resistance. I agree with that. I think that the uh, prior to that, though, there's a lot of uh, systems that once once you get to adolescence, your baseline capacity there is what it's going to be, you know, in terms of, like, you probably need to develop some good aerobic capacity and some work capacity and, and that kinesthetic awareness while those things are still, like, largely mutable. And the same thing with uh, uh, back to the central nervous system, the, the rate of force development. Uh, kids who jump become better jumpers as adults than kids who don't jump who then later try to become jumpers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think like when I say 14, like that's, that's what you're, like you said, external load, that's when you're bringing external factors and you're going to a gym, you're doing specific training, you're getting a coach. But like beyond that, yeah. From the moment you can start walking and crawling and climbing, like never stop training that like in a different way. Like that's why we're talking, you know, you know, somebody could be so much better. Your brother, you know, he did that gymnastics. He's training his body during those years and he didn't even realize he was training. So, Yeah, as much as we can get them in different sports and challenge their their body, whether it's like wrestling or gymnastics or sprinting, things like that, that's going to really, like you talk about jumping. I mean, I've seen a lot of people that danced when they were younger and have really stiff and strong feet and ankles and have have found rhythm and timing through that. When they want to learn how to jump later, they're really good at jumping.
2: They've already got the toolbox, yeah
1: you right. And now we're just mastering a skill of, okay, be here when you're doing this approach like this, put your arms here. And now I'm putting your body in a position to be powerful, but they already know how to do it. They just have to be set up to do it.
0: Yeah. So that's cool. Do you think, do you think a sport like gymnastics is, is kind of like the cream of the crop when it comes to the sport that you want to put young athletes in, if you want them to develop? Cause you hear kind of all these stories, like, Ilya Ilyin, the greatest weightlifter to ever live. What did he do when he was young? His mom dropped him off at a gymnastics gym and he just ran around like a crazy man and did a little bit of everything. Same thing with Roger Federer, arguably one of the greatest tennis players to ever ever play, also started very early in in, in gymnastics. So you hear a lot of these stories about gymnastics. Is it something specific about gymnastics or do you think it's just the wide range of
1: stimuli that you're exposed to within the sport? I think it's literally like, Gymnastics just happens to accompany all the things we want to do for the body. You're, you're sprinting high speeds through a vault or whatever a floor routine, whatever it may be. You're you know handstands and handstand walks and the flips and the bars and the, you're just challenging every little aspect of the body. And you're like you like tom said, you're doing at an age where your body's just soaking it all up, and it doesn't even know that like later in life you decide you want to be a CrossFitter and you can. All of a sudden, hit muffle up like no problem because you're just comfortable in a bar. You've been there before. Your hands are, you know, strong for it. The fingers and the the tendons and ligaments all throughout have just had that stress before. It's just it's going to respond to that better later on. Um, so yeah, I think gymnastics is huge for it. But I, you hear all the horror stories of the crazy stretching and the I, I just I mean I, you hear horse after horse of just how intense it is. So I think yes, I want to say gymnastics, but at the same time, like maybe not so intense, but just Get what you're trying to get from gymnastics: the tumbling, the rolling, the crawling, the jumping, that stuff. I,
0: I, maybe I think maybe more on the recreational side as opposed to the competitive side. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. there shouldn't
1: yeah. be a competitive gymnast,
0: anyways. Like, yeah. just yeah, go around and be a gymnast. And oh my god, I tell I tell Jimmy and Lexi that all the time. It's like they've got these girls that are six years old that have a year-long competitive calendar. Like, oh, what yeah. are you? In, are you out of your mind? What were you going to say, Thomas?
2: I was gonna say, I think a big distinction between gymnastics is like a competitive outlet versus gymnastics as a means for yeah. for development. And and I think I think if you if you train for gymnastics but maybe don't train for competing in gymnastics, that's the sweet spot. Yeah. And then eventually, yeah. you know, uh, just to pile on that, I think it's really important kids just are able to go play. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, get get them outside, let them run, uh, ex- explore their own uh, physical outputs in a, a situation that's not like highly structured. And uh, you know, approached from an adult's paradigm, you know,
1: yeah, kids just need. to And then I think it's crazy too. We talk about like you know, kids just need to play. They need to do this and they need to do that. And then we they do, but it's like, why do why do we stop that as we get older? Like, is it a, is it just because of uh, a fear of how I'm looking like I'm being childish, and that's why we fade away from it? But like clearly, our bodies respond so well to that and want that, but it. Yeah, as we get older we run from that stuff and we change everything up and it's like man what worked when we were younger it's still going to work now we just may need to make it a little harder somehow and challenge our body a little bit further than just the nuances of what gymnastics may bring an athlete or a person
2: yeah well and, and with the, the the play as we get older you know the um the 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 biological inputs that we can affect um you know in our our physiological state uh, as we age gets narrower and narrower you know, the, the, the range of it. So I think the, uh, you see that with, with kids as they, they become adolescents to adults to uh, middle-aged and elderly, the, the scope of what they're capable of uh, narrows and then the, the constraints of what they're engaged in becomes stiffer. So, yeah. you know, a, a little kid is just going to go play on the playground for like five hours and he's going to do whatever the hell he wants all day. And then you know you're talking about like a grade school or a middle school kid, he's gonna play a bunch of sports, but they're gonna be organized. And by the time he's late high school and college, he's down to like one or maybe two sports. Mm-hmm. And then uh but it could be anything, any any sports. And then, you know, by the time you get to uh late middle age uh and, and old age, uh people are like, Yeah, we're gonna play golf or we're gonna play shuffle. Like so so like there's there's sort of narrowing
1: just um, narrow your
2: yeah. biological inputs <laughs> and also that
1: Kind of have a weave.
2: degrees of freedom, yeah. the st- yeah. It's a funnel, right?
1: Yeah, I ain't trying to go this way, none of that shuffleboard nonsense, yeah.
0: And then, so last time, I think Nick spoke from a very like optimistic point of view about kind of long term athlete development and like, hey, listen, like the science is moving really quick, like strength conditioning is moving in a great direction, like, we're gonna have people throwing 120, you know, running insane 40s, jumping super high. But here I come a little pessimist for you. Thomas, Thomas, Thomas mentioned that kids are playing around. But if we look at kind of childhood obesity numbers, though, they are they're skyrocketing. They've never gone up faster than they currently are. So the argument can also be made that, well, a large portion of the child population isn't getting out there and playing. They aren't getting out there and getting that exposure. So what I see is you've kind of got like two high-speed trains here. You've got the childhood obesity, kids aren't moving at all train, and then there's the science is advancing really fast. You know, strength conditioning is better than it ever has been, and athletes are getting better. Like, which of these trains, in your opinion, Nick, is moving faster?
1: Mm, Probably it's the obesity
0: trend. Um, And, 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 and let me add, do you think that will contribute to the athletes that we see or the potential of athletes that
1: we see coming out of the United States, we'll say? Yeah, I think that's like the biggest thing is, is as much as the training is getting better, everything we've talked about up to this point has been about like don't mess up those early years. And if you don't, then you have kind of anything you want capable as long as you just train for it and work for it. Like we've laid the foundation early on when we didn't even realize what we were doing. So if we're, we're wasting those crucial years by being 100 pounds overweight as a seven-year-old, it's like, yeah, your opportunity of becoming a beast, you know, Olympic swimmer or something may not be happening. I mean, I'm not saying it isn't. I, never, I've, I don't know. I'm weirdly optimistic in the sense that maybe they, one day they could get there. But they just have a harder time to get there. I'm not saying they can't, but man, their journey is going to be that much harder than someone that maybe did the gymnastics for a little bit. So, I think, yeah, I feel like that trend is kind of, it's not that it's going to slow down the athletes that we get and we produce. I think it's just going to maybe take away from the, the, how much more we could have had. Like, the pool, we have, the total pool. Yeah. There just could have been a higher volume of elite athletes versus like the rare, wow, that kids, that kids 12 years old and is doing that. So, we probably would have seen maybe a lot more of that if we didn't destroy them from one to five or something, you know? So, uh,
2: I think I kind of, uh... A little bit different take on that. I think I think that maybe with the uh, the degree of early specialization that we see in this country's sports systems, right? Um, the uh, the selection that that we would normally see, um, you know, at 10, 12 to fifteen years old uh, in other countries' athletic development systems, because they they start with a a broader GPP base, whereas we're pushing kids into like you know highly competitive. Uh, year-round athletics at an early age, I think that, that maybe you see the kids that have the potential to be elite are more selected for uh, at an earlier age before those uh, the really negative aspects of, of the standard North American diet lifestyle can can take hold. And uh, so those kids get selected out and there's the realized or understood potential. And uh, maybe the, their, their course, their trajectory through life is altered by that. So the kids that really suffer the most from you know, obesity and inactivity are the ones that maybe didn't have the the same potential ceiling on their, you know, high potential ceiling on their athletic achievement.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So and that, that's not to there? say that obesity and and you know childhood inactivity is something that should be shouldn't be addressed, but just that that maybe it's not going to have the uh, the same impact on our uh, our athletic. Talent pool because it sort of selects for the the lower talented individuals, you know, as a as a general rule.
0: And what's somewhat of a interesting thought experiment is like, what do you think the conversion rate is on an elite, pick a random sport, elite thirteen year old basketball player, male basketball player, that by the time they're eighteen to nineteen they're one still playing basketball two not so broken. They can't play basketball. I guess that goes into number one and three still competing at that elite level. Like they've, they're still outpacing all of their peers. Is that a high number, a low number, a moderate number?
1: See, I think that number is probably on the low side because I just don't feel like anybody hit all three of those somebody's messing that kid up on the line somewhere, whether it's him himself because he falls into high school and the parties and this and that, and he gets distracted from, you know, the grind or whatever it may be, or he's not sleeping as much. So he's wondering why he's getting so fatigued. And he has that injury late in the season. There's just so many factors that can come into play and mess somebody up along that 14 to 18 year run or whatever, or age group. Um, where they're really trying to become elite that I just feel like it's, it blows people down and, and kind of stunts that a little bit. And we just don't see tons of people that are so far ahead like man like, it's just like there's a cream of the crop there's a few of those guys and when we get them i think it's like it fascinates us but i just feel like there need there should be more there should be more people there there shouldn't just be more i agree i, agree.
2: I think it, i think it's uh kind of mistaken to view the uh, you know the work ethic or the discipline or whatever else is some sort of like uh outside factor element in athletic development because really to achieve like the highest levels in sport that that's something that's almost a requirement, right? Like you're not going to see a guy that uh, goes to the Olympics and breaks world records or, you know, wins like five NBA championships or whatever um, as a, as an all-star um, without having a, um, a, uh, a really strong work ethic. that be, because he's going to spend 10 hours in the gym at the peak of his career. He's going to practice all the time. He's going to be constantly honing his craft. I mean, like we love to tell stories about the guy who walks in off the street uh, you know, some quarterback in the sixties and you know, drank a fifth of a, a liquor and smoked a pack of cigarettes, <laughs> in the game and threw for three touchdowns. But those guys don't exist in modern sport. Like
1: it was a different game back then too. Yeah, it was
2: a different game. Like like the 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 level at which athletes in this country are, are performing at this point requires that that, that is you know the, the, the soft factors, the mental factors, uh, personality issues. Yeah those, right. those things are, are requirements too. So I, I think we see You know, to talk about a guy who's six foot eight and has like a 44 inch vertical and can hit him from the half court consistently, but he doesn't like to practice. He doesn't like to watch film and he's got an IQ of like 95. Like you talk about that guy like like those things are separate from his physical. They're really part of the overall package. So it would be comparable to, you know, a guy who's really smart and really hardworking and he's fast, but he's finite, you know, like, (laughs) you know, his, his IQ or his work ethic or his personality is, is just another, you know, athletic Agreed. trait on equal footing with height and vertical
1: Agreed. Agreed. So, so many factors that people overlook. I mean, we could, list, we could go on for the next hour and just keep listing this yeah. off for this reason and that reason. But, I mean, we're, excuses are not. Like when I see, you know, like we talk about, there's one guy there. There's plenty of people that are in his, you know, same situation, size, strength, this, that. But they're just not there with him. So it's like, what did those guys do to not get there? Because I believe, like, in the end, like, you're human, I'm human, we're all human. So we all have the same, to a point, genetic potential. I believe that that top level is close. Maybe some people have, there could be arguments that some people have a a higher floor, but I think in the end, you're human, I'm human. Maybe some people just start a little closer to that top and don't have to work as hard. And we tend to see those guys in the high level sports be the ones that do have, you know, the, the work ethic that might not be there or this or that, because they've just relied on their natural abilities majority of their career. They've lost that work ethic, but it's like, there we go again, talking about well, what if that guy had the work ethic of the five, a guy that didn't have, you know, this extra foot to help him, So he had to gain his extra foot in vertical to make up for it. It's like, well, what if that guy did the same thing and treated it that way with that same fire and that drive? It's like, that's when I start to say like, man, I think we're going to see freaky things with sports happening athletically because no one's just done it all yet. And it's just a matter of time till we develop enough to where somebody's doing that, and we see that you know six eight guy with now a sixty four inch vertical, not a forty four inch vertical.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think, they,
0: I think
1: the baseline
0: is huge. The base, the where you start is huge. So, I, and then I always quote, I, "I it's just a phenomenal book." Sports Gene Epstein, yeah. Um, yeah. the 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 tale of the two high jumpers. Yes. So it's like you had you had the guy from Sweden who had I, a you know. A, a decent baseline, and he just worked until he couldn't anymore. And then you had the other guy who just had the super high baseline, trained hard Hello. for like eight months and, and came up and beat him. So that that baseline is huge. But I think that, like, like what you said, Nick, those are both two humans, like very different baselines, more work ethic here, brought him up here. But then there's always that question of like, what's the limit for the guy over here? What if we match work ethics or what if we match like enjoyment of the sport? Like what's the real limit there?
1: Yeah. No, you just had another factor. Even just like the brain's thought of like, this is fun. Like that can dictate how you're always. Yeah.
0: I always wonder how much of what we call work ethic in kids is just them having fun with the sport. It's like this kid has such a good work ethic. He's out there for two hours shooting free throws. It's like, no, nah, that kid's just—he's just having the time of his life out there because yeah. he loves shooting free throws. It's not that's, work ethic for him; he just loves it. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's, it's intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic. Yeah. They, the, the the guys who were the the best—I mean, you see all this tryhard shit on Instagram and all these memes are like, you know, all, oh, you know, you can be whatever you want, accomplish whatever you want, work hard, like grind, 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 grind. But like, really, the guys that ascend to that upper echelon. They do it because it's their craft, and it's because of what they love. Like nobody wants to watch film and break down coverages for 10 hours a day, except the guy that's really into breaking down coverages. Like, like you know, and he
1: fucking loves it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like <laughs> you like watching film. Weird. Yeah,
2: like like everybody talks about like how much the the Patriots organization and I you know I hate the Patriots by the way. Like it's just just what it is. But like everybody talks about the organization, and how miserable it is, and how there's guys who just don't fit, but like the guys who go in and do fit it's because the they're, they're, they're kind of like craftsman mentality. They look at it and they're like, this is what I want to do and I want to find the answer to this. And so they're in there and the whole environment is set up to facilitate them, you know, yeah. narrowing in on this one specific aspect of their craft and intrinsically attacking it versus like, I have to do this because it's my homework. I have to do this because Coach said so. Yeah. And those guys maybe flourish in a different environment, but but the, the really the, the guys who ever achieve that, That top uh, level of performance—they're not doing it because they have to. They're doing it because they want to. Yeah.
0: So, and as we kind of move up through the age groups, I'm going to kind of shift the question a little bit here because Nick said there was a commonality between all the age groups. What's the low-hanging fruit? It's how they move, and I 100% agree with that. You see 13-year-olds that don't how to move, don't don't know how to move. You see 23, 33, 43, 90-year-olds all the way up the line where they don't know how to move correctly. So I'm going to shift the question. 16 to 18 year olds is the next age group. The thing that 16 to 18 year olds are doing wrong most frequently.
1: Uh, Lifting heavy. (laughs) (laughs) Not that it's bad. Not that it's bad. I'm all for lifting heavy, but it's like again they don't they haven't mastered the body they haven't learned how to even squat without a bar on their back yet yet they're trying to you know compete and i think there is this fun part like again they're having fun they get in these high school weight rooms you see these videos of seniors in high school deadlifting a new school record or something and the whole team's crowd around you know that's important that is and that's so good but i think again it comes back to something we talked about the last podcast about chasing numbers and stuff I think that's just too soon for that. There's a time and a place for that, and there's a time to try to push yourself, max out, and see what you're capable of. And that does a lot for your body, but there's a time for it. And I still don't believe at 16 to 18, that's the time for it yet. Like they're going to probably do that when they get to college. So we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll develop that. And again, I can sit here and say, well, it depends. You know, there's some freak 18 year olds, there's some freak 16 year olds. It's like, when they're ready, they're ready, whether, whether it is or not. So I can't speak for the whole group, but for the majority of it, I think a lot of kids don't know what they're doing. They go out there, and they just max out, like, every day. Like, everybody – I mean, how many high school kids, you know, when you were in high school, they just went out there and just bench press max, like, four days a week? Yeah, yeah, so many people. No. <laughs> With that, I think that's, like, the biggest thing I see is, like, I see a lot of my athletes, too. They'll go – to the gym later, like even the same day that we had a session and they'll go get like a, a meathead session in or whatever it is. They just, they want to go and hang out with their buddies and throw a weight around. And yeah. so I think that can be a big, like, Hey man, like maybe just chill out on that a little bit.
0: <laughs> One disclaimer I'll throw out there. Cause this is literally going to come off as a podcast of like three strength coaches that like, we're like, we don't care about strength. We don't care about yeah, getting no, strength. That's we not are. the case at all. But like, here, here's the thing. It is awesome to chase numbers. It's fantastic to chase numbers when there's a baseline of acceptable technique. And the problem is that that baseline is, is never really taught. There's never that this is the way the movement looks. And if it doesn't look like that, then exactly. the number is irrelevant. So yeah. if we set the, the technique perform yeah. as the baseline, build the numbers from there, then fucking get as strong as you want. I wanna see you I wanna see you Ast to grass squat three hundred kilos. Is perfect. it necessary for your sport? But if it no, but if it's perfect, yeah, technique, yeah it's not gonna hurt you, so let's let's charge it. All right. I'm, a, to I'm gonna throw a flag on
2: that. I'm gonna throw a flag on that rod. I think I think it's 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 good to chase numbers only to the extent that it improves the sport, you know? Improves yeah, it Yeah
0: yeah the
1: buckets. Yeah, we got it buckets doesn't, it doesn't jump water it doesn't, into buckets you know? and, we went over the bucket. Yeah, yeah, if it's taking too much time and energy, then you stop it. But there's a point where like, getting stronger is not going to hurt you. you know, no, there, no. There, there, and it was, Again, it comes back to what Ryan said. Foundation is like that, that base of it because you can't build on something that every week is slightly different. Yeah. Like you, you, you get a guy that's new at a skill, and it's like one week he hits 135 for a set of 10, and the next week that's literally murdering him. You're like, what? It's not different. You didn't get that much weaker. He just is off somewhere, and now he's wasting energy on rep four to five or four through six, and he's just not getting beyond eight anymore so it has to be repeated the same way for me to improve upon it or else to to me you just you fail out on form and you're saying well it was just too heavy no it's just technically too heavy you're strong enough for it, you just don't know how to do it yet
2: yeah i, I guess my only point is that you know, for for athletes it really only matters to the degree it transfers that's with anything else you know like you know, it, that could be any anything capacity or or sprints or you know if it doesn't transfer to the sport it probably doesn't matter
0: Yeah, sure. Thomas hates my IQ example, but I'm going to use it. So here you go. You get it again. So my IQ example is always like, so IQ kind of sort of translates to sport, like strength in sports. Like if your IQ is 70 or if you can squat, you know, a third of your body weight, like everyone's going to know you're going to look like an idiot out there. But when you have like the requisite IQ of like not to embarrass yourself or the requisite strength to represent yourself well and perform as best as you can in the sport, then you're gravy. That's good. We want to hang out right there. But if your IQ is 170, then you're Thomas getting into like these long, elaborate arguments and Facebook comments like, well, actually, what's your missing here? Is that or like when you can squat 800 pounds and you're an NFL quarterback and you've just got these absolute meaty ham hocks on the field, but it's not really helping you at all. So yeah. it's like not enough bad enough. Perfect. That's where we want to hang out too much or over that doesn't really help you that much. And it might actually take away if that big portion of your training is going towards that. No, I agree with So, Thomas, Thomas, get out of the Facebook comments, man. You're too smart for those people. They don't deserve you. Yeah. Argue with Paul instead.
2: He's, what, what are you saying? <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Nick, so I'm going to fast forward you. Let's go to collegiate years. So, like, let's harken back to the UCF, the Clemson days. Like, the things that you saw, these incoming freshmen – incoming stick figure sophomores whatever they were the thing that that they're probably doing the worst or wrong with the greatest frequency
1: um i think a lot of it comes back to the sport like a, a basketball player in high school they're not notorious for lifting weights or doing anything. so they may come in as a freshman like a string beans, six foot eight have no muscle mass on just looking like they're going to fall over as they walk you might have a football kid walking as a freshman that can't even turn his head to the left or right because he's rocked up and he's only hit shrugs and binge press his whole life. And, and oh, so yeah. I think that you might see just different things by the sport, just depending, like you might see a cross country owner that's never seen a weight room in their life and yet they're going to put them to work and they're going to lift weights and they're going to train. And so that factor can be wide variety throughout all the freshman groups. Um, but what you do see is you do see levels of freshmen coming in. Like you significantly see someone that has trained for four or five, six years. Well, and you also see someone that has trained for four or five, six years, not well. And you also see the person that's walked in and has never seen a weight room before. Um, So I think when you go back to that, like analogy, you were saying the IQ, there's like a point when you get into this, you're doing a lot of it good and well, and just just stay there right now. like Just be there. That's where I think kids going into college need to get to. They don't need to be the best. They don't need to be some elite hitting crazy, you know, 600-pound squats going into it. They don't need to be hitting the 4440 necessarily unless that sport is demanding that and that's what's gotten them recruited. But a lot of whatever it may be or that having this insane vertical, they're going to train for it the next four years as well. Like that's, that's still part of the development. You don't need to go into college to be ready to leave college that next year unless your sport demands that, maybe baseball whatever it may be. For the most part, like just go into college with, with an ability to learn and grow and continue to progress yourself. That's what I think freshmen need to – we need to see more of that going into college because it will help those, those collegiate coaches.
0: And t- uh, we t- I think we talked about the podcast, or maybe I sent it to you, the Juggernaut uh, Training Podcast with Corey Schlesinger, I think is his name. I don't know if we talked about it or you sent it to me, but I know who he is. The uh, Suns Strength Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, this was a strength coach when he was, he was at – I think he was at Stanford. He was working with men's basketball at Stanford at the time. And it's, it's eerie how similar kind of what you're saying was to what he's saying. It's like, man, like, they bring them in freshman year. They've never picked up a weight before. And they want them to, like, get in there and, and bang with the seniors who have been, you know, in a structured program for four
1: years. And it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And that's the thing. is like, you don't see it everywhere you go, too. But one thing that I noticed at Clemson versus UCF, they had a very good, like, system involved and so like when they had freshmen come in if they could they tried to get them to come in semester b or whatever in the summer they wanted them early enroll a little bit throughout because they wanted to knock out like six weeks of intro as best they could so that start of the year they could just jump in there with the seniors now is that okay probably not but they're just trying to fast track them as best as they can to try to get what they should have done for the past four years in six weeks so they can just at least do something moving forward but again like I think it needs to be a lot more than that. But they have four years as a kid or less because they might be a baseball player who's going to be drafted in two years or one year or whatever it may be. So they have to fast track in their mind, like, well, I have a year and I need to do whatever I can to get this guy better in a year. And I think that that's where you can see some of those flaws coming where they're just, they're rushing.
2: Yeah. So it's-, it's
1: like they just come in ready to go, you know? So just those four years leading up to it, if you know you're going to, you know, you're going to try to play at the next level. Like, just try to go into it, ready to advance to whatever that next level may be. Because yeah. you're always ready to, to take it to another level. Like, you should always be, in our mind, pro or not, you should be still trying to find some way to level up.
2: Yeah, I, I think that there's sort of an intuitive thing when you're talking about individual uh, training population. Say, like, you, you get a kid that comes into your facility, and, and you, you look at him, you evaluate him, you say, this is where you're at, so we're going to start here. Uh, and that's, that's very intuitive and like kind of a no duh thing. Right. And then when you get into a group training environment where you're, you know, uh, training teams uh, the sport coaches maybe don't necessarily see that. They don't catch that, that like you're training teams, but you're still training individuals on that team and everybody's got a different starting point. So like one of the, the key things is to to develop those evaluations and, and find a way to individualize within the groups, whether that's to s- s- split out, you know, separate training groups or to uh, have modifications to movements and, and inputs for, for individual players, just kind of depending on the context and the size of the, the group that you're working with. Um, I know specifically with football, they've got a program called Power Hour that they put a lot of their freshmen through, which is almost like a, an intensive uh, one year growing them up. It's a, it's a separate training group where they all train together
1: uh, mm-hmm.
2: based on, you know, how much playing time they're going to see and what the the field loads are going to be yeah. so if you got guys who are red shirts or maybe only playing a couple games on special teams they're going to go to this power hour group and they're going to train more intensely and and sort of uh they're going to get two oh, semesters wow. of crash course to bring them up to, to speed and get them ready to go as sophomores or redshirt freshmen <laughs> just as an example
0: and if you look at the totality of their training that makes sense to give them a little bit of additional training because these are – I mean, these guys are, that are – they're riding the bench. They're not getting the reps in practice. They're not getting that same training stimulus on the field. So they've got a little bit of extra, like, recovery reserve. Let's go ahead and let's bring them up to speed a little bit more in the weight room. And then a- another one, Tommy, you bring up a really good point with the sport coach is not understanding. I think – and I'm sure <laughs> – I know Nick has a lot of experience with this of, like, selling these coaches on the program is – is, is border, it's borderline impossible yeah. it's, because they come in they see, alright, freshman and sophomore you know, they're behind what should they be doing in the room or what should they be doing in the weight room sport coach thinks they should be working significantly harder, they should be doing significantly more so they can catch up to everyone else coach walks in sees them doing rudimentary exercises or really reductionist exercises I should say, basically just learning how to move their body and they're like what the hell is going on in
1: here yeah and that's honestly the what probably the bigger flaw in it is and not only that coach four coaches bounce around schools so fast yep. that they see if, if they're not like the football that brings their staff with them they're going to see a lot of different strength coaches as well so then you're you're getting this i've seen four different types of training now and and you probably have been like a oh, out of those four i like this one the best so now when you go to your new school you're like i need you to train like this this is how it works for us at the last school this is what i need this is what i want and when they go in there and say that you like. Like, okay <laughs> uh i say no i'm getting fired so i'm um, sure and then you're just going to try to make your baby from it and, and make it the best you can the way you want it still giving that sport coach what they want but that's a whole nother story in there the, the political side of the sport coach strength coach nutrition staff this staff there there needs to be more connection because there's so many again like we talked about the body there's so many little factors that can potentially make them a better athlete that we're not that, that isn't training well the same way with the staff like the nutritionist, the, the psychologist, the ATs, the strength staff, they need to be in conjunction and understanding what each pet person is doing to truly give this athlete what they deserve and need.
2: Yeah. I, I think, um, college football is kind of my, my pet cause that's, that's the sport I care most about. Um, growing up in the Southeast, you know, it's, 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 it's a way of life. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, if you look at, if you look at the big programs, the programs that have the most sustained success, um, on, you know, the, the big level, on the national scale, um, you look at the, the kind of four main components is you have scheme, personnel, culture, and development. And, um, you know, culture is, is the head coach, and that's a top-down item. And and scheme is, again, back to the coaching staff, um, and, and they're going to have to uh, develop a scheme that they, they can implement effectively, and it's going to be tactically superior or at least effective with what they see in their conference and their, their likely playoff opponents, et cetera. And you've got personnel, which is recruiting, um, you know, X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's. Um, and, you know, like you, I can work my ass off and you put me on the field and the, my peak is like a 4640. And maybe, yeah. May, may, yeah. maybe I can catch yeah. a dive or something. But, you know, like I, I'm, 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 I'm going to lose more yards than I gain net, you know, over, over four years. And then, and then you've got the development. And the development really, if you look at the best schools, uh, the, the best programs, they, they don't treat development as their nutrition and their athletic training and their strength conditioning and their tactical development, technical tactical development as four separate items. They're really treating those as one holistic uh, stressor. And uh, so I think that you see the programs that have the most success, the most sustained success, that they meet the culture, the scheme and the personnel, but that they also treat their uh, development as a holistic program. Um, Whereas, you know, so like the, Example earlier with Clemson with the uh, the training loads being balanced based on the athletes', athletes needs and how much playing time they're getting, uh, or Alabama with the the guys that they've brought in. And I know Scott Cochran gets a lot of heat because he's a, a big screen and, you know, throwing weights around uh, Meathead. But but even uh, he had some specific programs uh, implemented to uh, get guys that were maybe banged up out of the weight room or, you know, in, in a special program to return them to play.
1: Yeah, some um, of that everyone's working. <laughs>
2: Yeah, something there is working. And then additionally, Alabama just recruits at such a ridiculous level, level that in the past uh, they were able to overcome a lot of attrition just through the guys they had riding the pine were, were athletically superior. But uh, even in the past like two or three years, you see that start to catch up with them when they have like five starting linebackers get hurt in the four, first six weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you look at places where they, they have that old-school mentality uh, of just grind them up in the weight room, grind them up in the field, and uh, if you've only got 85 guys, you're really, really playing play Russian roulette there because yeah. you might end up with 85 really strong, durable, resilient guys. And then the next year, you're going to go 0-11, get fired because your name's George O'Leary, and you don't give a fuck.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, <not really> <laughs>
0: I think your wow. biggest key word there was the sustained success part because sustaining your success requires that development aspect. There's only – there's a limited amount of really elite kids that come out of high school every year to play football, and they go all over the place. So does do Alabama and Clemson recruit better than everybody else? Yes, they do. But still, they've got those developments in place because – and this pains me to say. It really pains me. It hurts me. As a big SC fan, SC, we had our flash in the pan – because we recruited some elite, elite people, Leinart, Bush, uh, Lendel White. all those guys. They were really good. We were really good. They yeah. dipped out, and what happened to USC? Absolutely tanked. Yeah, there were some sanctions in there as well, but still, there was no one waiting in the ranks to come up and, and take that, because there was, likely, no
1: development. Well, that's kind of like how I argue with the miners right now. It's like, I've, I can't speak on this with proof by any means, but when you look at a program, like maybe let's say the Yankees that has had just sustained success over this entire long time, you know, maybe their minor leagues are better. Maybe they're treating them better. Like they have more money in their, in their program. So maybe they're actually funneling down to that level and actually getting a better strength coach versus a kid that's never had any experience tre- uh, training a team. Now he's training professional athletes that their careers are literally in this guy's hand yet they're giving them a guy that has really no idea what he's doing or maybe he's learning for the first time he's just kind of training under fire they don't have you know the proper food they're eating PB&J sandwiches and you're like this is a pro you're not setting this guy for success so maybe these programs that do have this long success maybe they're doing a little more at their level to progress people to i mean that's what the minors are It's supposed to take you and it's supposed to work you to become the next guy to play for them but isn't not- that what isn't that what Cressy does
0: Eric Cressy for the Yankees i think they hired him like last year Oh, I didn't know that. I think he's like their head of player personnel development or something like that. For, for like the minors? I, I believe, or for the entire organization, which I yeah. believe would encompass
1: the minors as well. Yeah, man, I mean, there you go. Like, that's a great example. They're going outside of the MLB to hire a private guy to make sure that their team at all levels is prepared for play at any second. And, that, and why do they assess It's like, you have to develop that. You have to pr- assume in the next four years, we're going to be really good. And that's why you see these long contracts. Sometimes it's because, like, man, they're like assuming, like, hey, there's going to be a couple, couple rough years in the beginning, but like by year three or four, you need to be winning. Like, and if you're doing things right, you should be winning, hopefully.
2: Yeah, and and you get back to that that whole development by attrition strategy. Like, occasionally you will catch fire in a bottle, and you'll just be really lucky to have a full roster of guys who can handle everything and stay healthy and and respond to it. Um, but you know, when you don't have that. And and you end up you know short staffed and you, and you don't have the the joes to go play, um, you know it's again like back to the UCF example I know since you guys have experience with with the kind of attitude that was in that program in the past you know they had a great year then they'd fall off the face of the earth the very I next year. That
1: year that was so weird it was just uh, it was an interesting time to be a part of that program yeah.
2: or like uh, was it Louisville in twenty sixteen. Uh, where they, you know, they they came out hot and uh, and really the, they were all it was like Lamar Jackson was the whole team. Right. No, no, and, and, and like uh, and like kind of a historical critique of Bobby Petrino's program is that he puts all his good athletes on offense and they have nobody to play on the defensive side of the ball by like year two or three. They're they're empty, you yeah. know, and, and uh, you look at that Louisville team couldn't stop anybody. But mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson would score eighty points a game; it was okay. And then the very next year, they went like, like so it's six and six with with a Heisman Trophy winner playing quarterback. again. Yeah, the very next year, they went one and eleven or two and ten. You know, yeah, the best got
0: defense. The best defense. It's the NFL blitz strategy. You guys remember like NFL blitz two thousand one, where whoever had the ball last won because it was just impossible yeah, to play defense. That's
2: that's yeah. the uh, two thousand eleven Clemson Tigers.
0: <laughs> Pacerino just played too much NFL blitz. All right, Nick, let's send him out. You got a lot of young strength conditioning coaches that would watch this and they would look up to you and say, wow, this is someone who's kind of like come up through the ranks, really made it for himself, um, got his own facilities, traveling with MLB players. You are living like a boss. Trying. What is the big piece of advice that you give the people that are kind of living
1: that early snc grind because it really is a grind yeah i'd say don't give up because i definitely i mean i'm talking by the grace of god i was weeks out from being like you know what this i've tried for five or six years i'm not hitting nothing i wanted to do the collegiate route for a long time wasn't getting anywhere so it's like things do fall into place if you just keep working you keep trying to progress if things doors close and open a new one find a new way like and there's a lot of that up and down and maybe you strike it rich you go to your first internship you make a connection you got a job the next year it works like that sometimes but at the same time like majority of it's not going to be like that you're going to do unpaid internships you're going to work you're going to do that do I think that needs to be done necessarily um for as long as it lasts no I think you should do one or two of them because you do learn a lot from them um you learn valuable lessons about how to run a team coach a team I think there's a whole other monster we didn't even talk about from training privately one or two, three, four guys versus training a team of 15 to 25. I mean, it's insanely different. And I don't even think it's possible for one person to train a group of 25. Well, it's just not like we talked about the way you're doing things. And it depends on your level. Um, you know, if they're really elite guys, you could probably assume when you turn your head, they're not killing themselves. But for the most part, you know, you, you just got to be prepared to work really hard to, to develop yourself as a coach that someone's going to look at and be like, you know what, I trust you to make me better or make my team better. Because in the end, people are paying you and putting their career sometimes, depending on what level you're working on, putting their career in your hands and saying, help me. And you have that, that ability to either make or break a career. So it's like, don't think those years of you grinding and, and, and slaving away at these internships or whatnot are not worth it. They, they make you do the coach you're going to be. And, and honestly, like, you, you need those years. So enjoy them, learn a lot, soak it up, be a sponge, and, um, and never stop learning, that's for sure.
0: Enjoy it, he says. Hey, how do you like your ramen? Because living the internship life is all about that ramen, right? Oh, dude, the ramen's good. I'm all about the chicken ramen. Chicken ramen is, I like the spice, spicy chicken ramen. Thomas, leave the people with your favorite kind of ramen. Um, He's going to say some fancy shit. I already know it. shrimp one or something like that.
1: I
2: just like it with, like, an egg. I just want an egg in my ramen.
1: Ooh, okay. Ooh. All right, good. I, I can accept that. All maybe,
2: right. some, maybe some sriracha and cilantro. He's
1: taking that little $1 ramen from the gas station. He's spicing it up making it a little fancy. It's, it's like a $7 ramen now. Uh, the bowl of noodles?
0: That's what the real beauty,
1: the bougie individuals get. Yeah.
0: yeah. Of years, all right. As years. always, folks, thanks for coming by. Thanks for watching. Drop a like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. The Instagram or not the Instagram. We're not Instagram. The YouTube algorithms. Stay trying your boys. So give us some love. We need that love. We're trying to cash out on YouTube money so we yeah. can fall. So Aww. we can fall out, buy an island in the Maldives and never work again. So help us live out our dream. Go visit GetThePerformance.com. Check out Nick on Instagram. Drop him one more time, Nick
1: uh nomble 28 is the personal so n-o-m-b-l-e 28 and then the gym page is X V X I I I performance so fifteen thirteen performance three eyes yes three so. eyes appreciate you having me on again it was a lot of fun yeah dude we'll do it again sometime
0: everybody else we'll see you on the next one and as Great. always peace. Thanks.